0: Due to the mature content of this program, listener discretion is advised.
1: Thanks for tuning back into The Depth of Darkness, the podcast that dives deep into all things dark and wrong in this world. We're your hosts, I'm Mandy.
0: And I'm retired Major Hugh Jass. Coming at you. In your face.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) Hi, welcome back. Despite all this quarantine shiz. Today we've got a true crime coming at you. And this guy's just a sick bastard. Let's just get that out of the way. He's a sick mofo. And he is none other than the Genesee River killer, Arthur Shawcross.
0: Arthur Shawcross.
1: Luckily, he's dead. (laughs) He died, I think back in, what, 2008? So he's been dead for a bit. But we're going to go over kind of the making of the murderer, the making of him, kind of his demented childhood, what kind of corrupted him. I mean, he was messed up to begin with. He likes to blame it on other people, but it's him. Let's just, he, he's a freak. So, was yep. a douchebag. freak. Douchebag. <laughs> yeah, complete douchebag. So, if you guys haven't heard of him, he's just completely, what I keep saying is, he was demented, and you will soon know why. I mean, there's countless reasons, but the article we're going to be going over today was taken from biography.com. And it was basically just a back history on Arthur Shawcross, the Genesee River Killer. It just gives you kind of a backstory of his life, his issues, some things that might have caused his issues, uh, as well as his victims. It goes into detail on that, kind of what he did, how he lured them and manipulated them. And we'll go over all of that. And at the end, I I also want to go over some of the quotes that the sick bastard said during interviews with him and... Yeah, you'll see why he's such a sick bastard. So I'm going to say that numerous times. Kind of
0: a fat bastard, too.
1: Yeah, he's a fat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So starting the article here, it begins with a synopsis. So it says, Arthur Shawcross's parents dispute his claims that he was molested as a child. But it's clear that he was troubled. Obviously. In 1972, he confessed to killing two children and went to prison. His records were sealed so he could settle in a new town without causing a panic. But from 1988 to 1990, Shawcross killed 11 women in upstate New York, earning the nickname the Genesee River Killer. He died in prison. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Early life. Serial killer Arthur Shawcross was born on June 6, 1945, and died on November 10, 2008, while serving a life sentence for the murder of 11 women. From his birthplace of Kittery, Maine, his family moved to Watertown, a small town near Lake Ontario in New York State, when he was still a child. Shawcross claims that his adolescence was turbulent and cites a difficult relationship with both parents, particularly his domineering mother, for his later troubles. He said he also exhibited behavioral problems at an early age, including bedwetting and bullying. That's a good Cross also made <laughs> extreme reports about his early sexuality. He claimed his aunt sexually molested him when he was nine, and then he had sexual relations with his younger sister. He also admitted to his first homosexual encounter at the age of 11, which he says was followed by experimentation with bestiality.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you can see, he's a total winner. He's a total gem. <laughs> Good Lord.
0: In contrast to these claims, however, his parents and siblings maintained that he'd had a normal childhood, and the described events were largely the product of his imagination. There is no way of knowing whose version whose version represents the reality of his upbringing, but what became clear later on was that Shawcross would change his stories at will as he was interviewed by various professionals in the course of their investigations. From school records, it can be independently verified that he was an inveterate truant with a particularly low IQ, a tendency to bullying and violence that he came under suspicion for a series of juvenile arson attacks, as well as burglaries. He dropped out of school after failing to pass the ninth grade and the next few years were punctuated with violence and jail sentences. He received his first probationary sentence in December, 1963 for smashing his shop window.
1: As I said, a real gem. Real fat bastard gem. Bastard. Um, Yeah. The next part is arrest and imprisonment. So kind of going over when he was arrested, put in prison, all that good stuff. So Shawcross married first wife, Sarah, in September 1964. The couple produced a son in October 1965, but another probationary charge for unlawful entry in November 1965 proved the last straw for his marriage, and he was divorced soon after. His second marriage, following drafting into the army in April 1967, was also tainted by violence and was equally short-lived. He served a tour of duty in the Vietnam War in October 1967, and he later claimed that he murdered and cannibalized two young Vietnamese girls and several children while there. Ugh. God, what's wrong with this
0: Uh, ass? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, literally, fat bastard. There is no corroborating evidence to support this, however. He also claimed a quote-unquote combat kill, total of 39, which, when investigated later, was also discounted as fabrication. Authorities claim he killed no one on his tour of duty.
0: <laughs> so that's a hero. Just,
1: yeah, that's just him telling a bunch of BS lies. He just kind of <laughs> wants to be like, hey, I, mean, I did this. <laughs> I'm a bastard, but you know, <laughs> I did this. Look at me. So... On his return from military duty in 1968, he landed in trouble yet again when he was caught and convicted for an arson attack. Shawcross served two years of a five-year jail term. He was released in October, 1971 and returned to Watertown again. A year later on April 7th, 1972, he claimed his first victim. So the first recorded victim. And that was, yeah, that was 10 year old neighbor, Jack Blake. This is so sad. It was a little boy. Um, Shawcross took him fishing just a few days before he disappeared, but denied any knowledge of the disappearance. Several weeks later, on April 22, 1972, he married his third wife, Penny Sherbino, who was pregnant with his child. Five months later, his victim's body was finally located. He had been sexually assaulted and suffocated, but police had no leads to the identity of the killer. Jack Blake would be the first of many more victims. That's so sad. There's pictures of the little boy that I posted on Instagram and <sighs> among all his other victims. And it's so sad. I mean, it's just a little kid. Mm. Um, and I don't tolerate that. I don't tolerate that shit. Ugh. In September 1972, the body of eight-year-old Karen Ann Hill was found under a bridge. She had been raped and murdered. See, again, here he goes with the pedophilia and the slaughtering of little children. I mean, he's just a complete dick. Police found mud, leaves, and other debris had been forced down her throat and inside her clothing. Neighbors remembered that Shawcross had been seen with Karen in the vicinity of the bridge before her disappearance, and he had a history of minor run-ins with local children. Shawcross came under immediate suspicion. So, I mean, at this point, they didn't know he was the murderer, but they suspected, obviously, he's the main culprit. It's probably him. (laughs) Sick piece of shit. He was arrested on October 3rd, 1972, and finally confessed to both killings, although he was only charged with Karen Hill's killing, given the lack of evidence tying him to Jack Blake's death. He received a 25-year jail sentence, and third wife Penny divorced him shortly thereafter.
0: What's with the short jail sentence? He should have gotten life.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like ah. the
0: death penalty. One of the he two.
1: learned his lesson. He can go back on the streets. He's a good yeah. boy. Obviously it did him good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Her dad should have shanked him.
1: Yeah. Among other things.
0: Yep. Released from prison. After serving less than fifteen years of this sentence, he was released on parole. In April 1987, the well-publicized resettlement of a child killer in the Binghamton area of New York State was greeted by a public outcry, and he was forced to leave the area after a few months along with his new girlfriend, Rose Wally. His past meant that he would be unwelcome almost anywhere, and the authorities made the decision to seal his criminal record in order to prevent a recurrence of the public alarm in Binghamton. They moved Shawcross and Wally to Rochester, New York, where she became his fourth wife. In Rochester, Shawcross took on a succession of menial jobs. His lackluster marriage to Wally meant that he was soon seeking solace elsewhere, both from prostitutes as well as his new girlfriend, Clara Hmm. Neal. It did not take long for Shawcross to return to his murderous ways. Hunters discovered his next victim, 27-year-old prostitute Dorothy Blackburn, on March 24, 1988. Her body was found in the Genesee River, dumped there following a vicious attack, which included bite marks in the groin area and strangulation.
1: The hell?
0: Little evidence and no public impetus to solve the murder of a prostitute, her case languished for over a year. There were other murders of prostitutes in that time, but given the danger of the profession, nothing untoward was noticed that linked any of the cases. The discovery of the body of another prostitute, Anna Stefan, on September 9, 1989, linked several of the victims. She died of asphyxia and her body had been dumped in a similar manner to Blackburn's corpse. Her body, however, was found far from the original murder scene, so again the possibility that a serial killer was at work was not recognized. Nice. Oh, nice. What the...
1: Uh, Good God. I mean, this this was back in show. the 80s, so they obviously weren't up to par with investigation and all that jazz mm. like we are nowadays. But still, I mean... Ugh. All right, the next segment is called Mounting Death Toll. On October 21st, 1989, the bodies of homeless women... That's just what it says. Homeless woman Dorothy Keeler, aged 59, was discovered followed six days later by another prostitute, Patricia Ives, in the same area. Both had been asphyxiated, and the press started to show an interest as the cases were linked. They nicknamed the offender the Genesee River Killer. In all the previous cases, at least some attempt at concealment had been made, which police felt indicated previous criminal or military experience, which he had both, obviously, from that back history we gave you earlier. They began to advise prostitutes working in the area to exercise caution and sought as much information as possible about strangers operating in the area. They also began checking criminal records for offenders who might be living in the immediate area. Shawcross's sealed criminal record meant that he shielded him from police scrutiny. What? Okay! As prostitutes continued to disappear, it became apparent that the killers must be someone familiar to the women who worked in the area. Police were able to piece together a description of a regular client called Mitch or Mike. That's a common killer name, apparently. Women said, "Yeah, women said that particular John was prone to violence." Then the body of 26-year-old June Scott, who was neither a prostitute nor drug user, was found on Thanksgiving Day. Ah, that sucks. Uh, she had been, yeah, she had been strangled, anally mutilated after death had her labia removed, and was gutted from throat to crotch like a wild animal. I mean, he had complete disregard for human life. That's what makes him such a piece of crap. You know, like, he was a disgusting human being. So He's
0: a fat bastard.
1: Literally, yeah.
0: (laughs) Police investigation. With the bounty count mounting, the police sought assistance from FBI profilers. They divided the 11 unsolved prostitute murders into subgroups according to method and position. They developed a profile that described the killer as a white male in his 20s or 30s, who was strong, probably with a previous criminal record, familiar with the area, and comfortable enough with the victims that they would enter his vehicle without question. The lack of sexual interference indicated it might be someone with sexual dysfunction. The post-mortem injury inflicted on June Stott and not on any other victim indicated that the killer was becoming more comfortable around corpses, probably yes. returning to the crime scene again later to relive the attack. Yes. The discovery of the body of Elizabeth Gibson on November 27th brought a breakthrough. Suspect Mitch had been seen with her shortly before her disappearance, but they seemed no closer to establishing his identity. Police tried various tactics, including canvassing all the local bars to no avail. When a pair of discarded jeans was discovered near the river on December 31, 1989, containing an ID card for a girl named Felicia Stevens, police began an aerial search of the surrounding area. On January 2, 1990, a helicopter spotted what appeared to be a naked female body lying on the ice surface of a river by a bridge in the forest. The body was not Felicia Stevens, but that of a missing prostitute, June Cicero. She had been mutilated, post-mortem, as well as sawn practically in half.
1: Good Lord. He just has the most creative ways of butchering these poor women. Not just women. I mean, he murdered that little boy back in the day, but uh, apprehension and arrest. Even more importantly, the helicopter spotted a man standing on the bridge next to a small van. He appeared to be either masturbating or urinating. Great. Great. (laughs) Uh, Both of those are vile. Fortunately for the authorities, Shawcross had, as speculated, returned to the scene of one of his crimes to relive the pleasure of the attack. Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> Gosh. Patrol teams on the ground were alerted to the vehicle which had sped away. They finally tracked down Shawcross via the car's registration, which was in the name of his girlfriend, Clara Neal. When approached, Shawcross agreed to assist the police with their inquiries. When they asked for his driver's license, he admitted he did not have one and then revealed that he had been in jail for manslaughter. Well, that's nice of him just casually bring it up. Oh, yeah, I, I murdered that. someone.
0: <laughs> well, by the way.
1: Yeah, by the way, I killed some people. Police were confident they had their killer and further questioning revealed the earlier child deaths and a grandiose account of his Vietnam War service, which was later discounted. A photo taken of him during the initial questioning soon confirmed his identity as the quote unquote Mitch, and official inquiries unearthed the reason for Shawcross's sealed record, which prevented the police from tracking him down sooner. Still, police were unable to get Shawcross to admit to the murders until they confirmed that a piece of jewelry he had given to Clara Neal previously belonged to victim June Cicero. So he not only keeps these mementos, a lot of serial killers tend to do that, but he goes and gives it to his girlfriend like, here, babe, I got you something real good. A lot
0: of them do that, too, for some reason. Kind of creepy.
1: Yeah. All right. When police threatened to implicate her in the killings, Shawcross capitulated? Capitulated. Yeah. And admitted to most of the murders, giving detailed excuses about why he had been, quote unquote, forced to kill each one. He even admitted to the killing of two undiscovered bodies, those of prostitutes Maria Welsh and Darlene Trippy, leading investigators to their bodies. His formal confession was nearly 80 pages long.
0: Wow. (laughs) Psychotic bastard. Yeah. Trial, imprisonment and death.
1: Thank God.
0: <laughs> in November 1990, Shawcross went on trial for the 10 murders that occurred in Monroe County. The last victim, Elizabeth Gibson, had been killed in neighboring Wayne County. The trial was a national media event, extensively televised and widely viewed. Shawcross's defense team tried to build a case based on the insanely... Ha, <laughs> 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 Shawcross' defense team, team tried to build a case based on an insanity plea, citing various mitigating factors such as his upbringing, post traumatic stress as a result of military service, a cyst on the brain, and a rare genetic defect that involved his ass. I call bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Those the prosecution was quick to dispute the claims about his childhood and military service, casting doubts on Shawcross's testimony. The dirty, gutless coward. Yeah. The physiological evidence about brain science and genetic factors was at best spurious and beyond the understanding of the jury. It was also hindered by poor presentation on the part of the expert witnesses called to testify. Shawcross was declared sane and guilty of ten instances of secondary murder. The judge sentenced him to 25 years for each count, a total of 250 years imprisonment. A few months later, Shawcross got out of jail. No. (laughs) A few (laughs) months later, Shawcross was taken to Wayne County to be tried for Elizabeth Gibson's murder. Rather than claim insanity this time, he pleaded guilty and received a further life sentence. Good. Ross was held at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in New York State until November 10, 2008, when he complained of a pain in his leg. He was transferred to a hospital where he died later of a cardiac arrest following a bathroom episode. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? At least he died painfully, you would hope, rather than just lethal injection where he gets it easy. You know, I mean, this bastard. Yeah, if he He died
0: on the crapper, he got what was coming to him.
1: Kind of. I mean, still, the way he slaughtered these...
0: <laughs> Perfect
1: timing.
0: Yeah. I yeah. guess it was a poking out fired off.
1: It <laughs> got jammed in there. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, just going over this biography for the sick F, I mean, you guys can see kind of, you know, he... And he, it was said in a lot of interviews with him, he would constantly change his stories. So he would tell one investigator, or one interviewer, one story, and then he would completely tell a different story to someone else. And it's like nothing matched up. Yeah. So they don't know who to believe if was he actually molested yeah. when he was a kid, you know, his parents deny that where he, you know, stands by it. I mean, in my opinion, I think something did happen that no one wants to disclose, you know, his family, maybe they're ashamed of it. but. At the same time, because he was a perpetual liar and a bullshitter, basically, yeah. No uh, and him. You, yeah, he wasn't right in the head that, you know, there's no way you can really believe him. And the other thing I wanted to go over real quick, there was a, a YouTube video and it was called an interview with a serial killer. And it was probably one of his last interviews, I would say, because he was looking real fat and real old. I mean, Big real it. fat. He had like a million chins going on. Big. uh, (laughs) Total fat. Got
0: more chins than a Chinese phone book.
1: Literally, yeah. I mean, he's the epitome of a fat bastard. And I just wanted to, I I was scrolling through the comments. You know, I like it. Sometimes they make you (laughs) giggle. And this I like one, the one person,
0: comment there a chinterview <laughs> with a serial. That's blinker. what I
1: was getting at. Yeah, this one person <laughs> wrote, <laughs> quote unquote, Ching-y-oreo. and I
0: didn't.
1: Came here. Yeah, yeah. He said a chinterview with a serial blinker because yeah. during the interview he's like blinking profusely. It's like what the hell's uh, wrong with him? Like does he have like ticks going or- on? What's what the f is wrong with him? Did his and... roommate
0: Bubba blow a load on him just previous?
1: <laughs> a load in his face. I, I Explode can't. Explode in his it.
0: face.
1: Damn it, I... Bubba. But I wanted a <laughs> yeah, notable mention for that. A chin interview with a serial blinker. <laughs>
0: that was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had I had to mention it because. And what was that guy's name? If he listens, you sir. Kinky are... Oreo kinky oreo that's a good
0: whatever that means i don't think we want to know what that means
1: let's be your friend
0: (laughs) yeah
1: um but to kind of wrap this episode up i wanted to also touch on a few of the quotes by arthur shawcross and they're disturbing so during the interview You can see him online. These are two of the most notable ones. The first one was he was talking about his relations with one of his victims, one of the prostitutes. And this is what he says. She was giving me oral sex and she got carried away. So I choked her. He just got the hanker and the choker, apparently. Um, That was one. And then the other one, this is so gross. It's probably his most famous quote. And it says, I took the right leg of that woman's body from the knee to the hip. I took the fat off and ate it while she stared at the other girl. When I bit into it, she just urinated right there. End quote. Come here, I'm gonna eat ya! Oh, gosh. Fat Bastard just is like created for him. <laughs> like literally. you in my
0: belly!
1: <laughs> you know, you're taking this serious moment to something completely I know. dark.
0: We gotta take it there, you
1: know. Yeah, we gotta make it a little bit on more. I'm deck that could choke a donkey. <laughs> Um, In that same video, an interview with a serial killer or a Chinterview with a serial blinker. Thank you, Kinky Oreo. He was basically asked by the interviewer saying like how there's so much evil in the world. And the interviewer asked Arthur, do you consider yourself evil? And he just sat there profusely blinking for a bit, kind of paused and then he's like, "Eh, somewhat and then just kept blinking. And it's like his actions weren't that bad. He had no remorse and he just, that shows like what a demented, bastard he was, that he didn't express any emotion. He had no remorse. It's like he felt disconnected from the actions that he performed. And it's like, that's the most disturbing part yeah. is he didn't have a sense of empathy. He didn't have a sense of remorse. And unfortunately, that's actually how a lot of serial killers are that, uh... you know, they feel guilty for what they've done. It's like, they feel like they're separate from, you know, their victims, like they're a separate entity or whatever i can't yeah like it was just something you know? on the
0: resume you know
1: yeah like oh, yeah, i did this i did this i
0: choked oh yeah thing. i remember that I one this
1: woman yeah i wasn't having was a good time so i mean this guy was just so gross if you guys haven't heard about him you can obviously do more research but we kind of gave you a whole back history of it of oh, yeah. this creep luckily he's dead he's been dead for over a decade now
0: <laughs> 12 he's years good these days
1: so, um, yeah, thank God he's dead, because this guy... I mean, at least the world's down one piece of crap human, so...
0: One fat bastard.
1: Yeah, one fat bastard I'm down. i
0: my willy in two years, which
1: is long enough to declare legally dead. <laughs> that probably was his case, because as he's sitting in the interview <laughs> chair, his gut is just, like, overflowing. I'm just like, eww. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: he didn't look like that when he did a lot of his... I mean, he, he was still... He was like 300 pounds, I think they said. He was very tall, and he was like over 300 pounds um, when he committed his crimes. But as he was in prison, and as he gained, you know, more years on his life, as he got older, he got fatter. He literally yep. got fatter. His chin kept growing exponentially. Yeah, it looks like a looks <laughs> so, like a goiter. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's the tumor they were talking about. Just the tumor on his chin. It's kind of it kind of looks like uh, Peter Griffin, you know. <laughs> a a demented serial killer peter griffin so
0: (laughs) peter griffin's better looking though
1: oh yeah and not not as uh well i mean they have they both have the low iq so there you go that matches up (laughs) but uh yeah we hope you guys enjoyed this episode that about does it as always, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you aren't already. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast uh, needs. <laughs> if it allows you to leave a review, please do, because that always helps us out. And we like being reassured of how awesome we are, because we know
0: we're just yeah.
1: fabulous. <laughs> yeah, we're freaking awesome. We know it. Uh, but thanks for <laughs> tuning in. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. Now I'm
0: we could no just more. convince somebody else.
1: I know. Damn it, watch me. I'm awesome. Yeah. What? That's is that the one where he's like fingering yeah. his belly button? He's like, uh, up yeah, like
0: Arrgh. that. Yeah, good lord. Yeah. Alright. One more for the road, folks. Oh yeah. Hey, I'm a bigger chunks
1: of corn in my crop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fat bastard. We never. On that video. note. Yeah, on that note, we're signing out, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.
0: Bye. Ow.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we close up the episode, I want to do another shout out for an amazing podcast called Discarded. The host, Lynn Marie, does an amazing job of researching a lot of missing persons cases. And it's incredible. The amount of detail that goes into her episodes is amazing. And you guys know we love our true crime, horror, all things dark and creepy. Obviously, that's what our podcast is based off of. She covers true crime, and she does an amazing job at it. She's very well organized, very thorough in her research, and it's just an amazing podcast. Again, it's called Discarded. Give it a listen. The link is down below, as always. Let her know we sent you, and thanks again for tuning in.